This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. The transfer window is shut, the deals are done and the Premier League has got some new faces in town. £1.1 billion later, top flight clubs have completed their shopping lists. We'll take a look across some of the deadline day deals in the Premier League. Everton, Manchester United, Crystal Palace, Leeds, Newcastle and West Ham all in business yesterday with some familiar figures returning to the English game, along with a few fresher faces. This is Football Social Daily, your seven-day-a-week Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe now and you'll be in the loop with all the latest from England's top flight. I'm Niall and alongside me today, with yellow tie suitably discarded for another four or five months at least, we've got Jim Salverson. How are you doing, Jim? I'm all right, Niall. How about you? I'm very well, thank you very much. And also, Ian Brandon is here today. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good, yes, thank you. Uh, good, good to be back. Had a couple of weeks off, um, but um, yeah, we're, we're ready for the rest of the season now. You didn't whip the yellow tie out yesterday, did you, seeing as your beloved leads are in action in terms of business? <laughs> no, I, I um, because of um, previous um, errors in the transfer window, it's, 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 it's important not to get too excited <laughs> as a Leeds fan, but uh, ironically, that, <laughs> that hoodoo has been put to rest this time round. Before we get started, can I mention something that we're not going to talk about today, but I thought was really interesting? Because we're about to go into the worst Mm. international break there is, right? Because no one likes this international break that we're in at the moment, the World Cup qualifiers. Just as everyone's getting excited and starting for the season, they have this big break and go (laughs) play international football, and it's rubbish. Everyone hates it. No one likes qualifying for the World Cup, do they? (laughs) (laughs) But what I thought was quite interesting was today is the 20th anniversary of England England's 5-1 victory against Germany, which was in such an international break. And I thought, well, that's a little ray of hope, isn't it? So if we're going, oh, more international football, not really bothered about it, we'd rather the Premier League was back, we might get another 5-1, might get another big victory against a... Uh, in, in Hungary. The yeah, <laughs> it's not quite the same, is it? But anyway, yeah. I, thought, I thought that was a nice little positive 
uh, going into the international break. Yeah, nice little pick-me-up to start the show. That's Even it. Emil Heskey scored, as the song famously goes on that day. 5-1 in Munich, <laughs> what a day. Yeah, I, I watched that in the uh, in the bar at Centre Parks in Cumbria. <laughs> um, it was a wild place to be watching it. And Are then you still paying for the off... bar tab? <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got a few bar tabs going at Centre Parks, don't go there. Um, especially now, they've doubled the prices, even what it was before. But... Um, yeah, and, and then they, they, the match after that was at St. James's Park, um, and I, I can't remember who they played against, but it was, it was the least inspiring follow-up to the, uh, to, to the blockbuster the, the few days prior. So I got these tickets, and St. James's Park was packed. I got a ticket right at the back of the big stand, and um, it, it, it wasn't a great match because everybody was there thinking this is going to be brilliant. They're going to absolutely uh, muller this team. It was someone like... I don't know. It wasn't well, I can't remember. We can look it up, but it was like Ukraine, not even Ukraine. You know, Lithuania or something like that. Mm. I seem to think, and it was, yeah, it wasn't great. Was it Georgia? I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. But it was. It was. It was. It was not. It was not. It was definitely the hangover. The it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the follow-up. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Enough about jaunts abroad to watch England or centre parks, bars and pints of Carlsberg or whatever it is in drinks. We're going to talk about the transfer deadline day, which, of course, was yesterday. The window shut at 11. That was the cutoff date for players registrations or contracts being signed effectively. And they can be announced after the deadline. So we might still see some announcements of players today. But in terms of deals, no more deals can be agreed behind the scenes because that period of time has now passed and we're going to start with Manchester United Ian as we mentioned is a Leeds fan an outgoing from Manchester United two Leeds in Dan James we'll come on to that in a second but first we're going to start with the biggest story of the transfer window which was Lionel Messi up until about a week ago Jim when it was revealed Cristiano Ronaldo had in inverted commas snubbed Manchester City for a return to the other side of the city Manchester United where he effectively made his name all of those years ago, 2003 made his Premier League debut for Manchester United. Here we are, some years later, Ronaldo's 36 years old, an unbelievable goal scorer, a bit of a phenomenon when it comes to the marketing side of the game. They've agreed with Juventus, Manchester United, £12.5 million on a two-year contract for Ronaldo, which will be paid in £2.5 million increments which seems like a bargain even for a 36 year old as good as Ronaldo still is of course how seismic a deal is this not just for Manchester United but for the Premier League as well because this has really been the biggest transfer I can remember in some years I think it's absolutely massive and I think it's massive on a load of fronts and probably the very final front the bottom of the list is football I think firstly it was really important that Manchester United got this one, and I'm saying this with inverted commas, doing those air quotes, got one over on City, because I'm not entirely sure how interested City ever were in Ronaldo. And I think one of the biggest parts of this transfer is being how well Mendes has earned his 20% cut or whatever it is he takes away from this deal. Because I think it was masterminded by him, this kind of idea that City were going to take Manchester United is one of their most famous players to the Etihad and kind of have them as their own in a blue shirt. And then United swoops in, who apparently previously had no interest in bringing Ronaldo back to United, swooped in and then did the deal for themselves when probably that deal was never going to happen to City in the first place. So I think that is a massive part of this. I think Mendes has played his hand absolutely brilliantly. Ronaldo, he wanted to leave Juventus. That's been a big 
driving factor in this transfer, obviously. And Juventus wanted to get rid of Ronaldo as well. Reportedly, they've been trying to get rid of him for around 24 months or so, almost since his first season. Not because he wasn't performing on the pitch, but because he was such a financial burden on the club. But I think it's one of those fairy tale stories that if everyone, even the most ardent hater of Manchester United surely wants Ronaldo to succeed at Manchester United because it is that fairy tale it's going back to the club where he made his name it's going back to the club who still has Sir Alex Ferguson the man he still calls gaffer sitting in the stands looking down on him and it just feels like it should work what he's going to offer on the pitch I think is something completely different because this isn't the Ronaldo that left Manchester United not only is he older but he's also a completely different player. He was this tricky winger when he left Manchester United. He's now a big, strong centre-forward. And we've seen from what he does in international football and what he did at Juventus and what he did at Real Madrid that he still has plenty to offer on the pitch. But how that fits with the United that we now have and how Ronaldo will play in that team, I think is probably a little bit up for debate. I mean, for me, it questions whether Cavani is still going to play a key role at Manchester United I partly expected them to leave yesterday in the end of the transfer window but it's massive I mean in terms of Manchester United and how much they're paying as you say 12.5 million quid is an absolute snip they'll earn that back in the first month I would have thought they'll get Ronaldo advertising toothpaste in Japan or something like that and boom that's your <laughs> money made back and that that is a big part of this deal it's the commercial value of Ronaldo being back at United as much as the player Ronaldo being back at United. With Daniel James moving to Leeds which we'll discuss shortly he wore number 21 and there's rumours that there might be special dispensation for Manchester United to allow Cavani to move to the number 21 shirt just so they can get the number seven which Cavani currently wears back on the shoulders of Cristiano Ronaldo and in terms of the commercial value that that would give to Manchester United and the amount of CR7 shirts that they would sell it almost recoup the money back within a sort of a 48-hour spell. So as Jim rightly says, this is as much about the activity off the pitch as it is on it. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. And I, I did read somewhere that they, they had got that permission, um, I think, to, to, to reorganise their um, uh, shirt numbers and, and so on so that Cristiano Ronaldo gets the number seven, which you can't imagine him playing in anything else. And I'm sure that if he, even if the, he, he wasn't allowed that shirt now, then uh, it will be a matter of time um, bef- before it did happen. Um, it, it does seem from a, strictly speaking, and I read, I read an interview about this with, with someone who um, watches Manchester United quite closely and, and has done for years, but particularly this last sort of two, three years where they've had this rebuilding thing going on with, um, with under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that this signing of, of Cristiano Ronaldo in many ways doesn't make any sense. It's only because he's a, a club legend uh, number one, and also um, a, a worldwide legend. It doesn't make any sense taking the name out of it. It doesn't make any sense because, he, you know, his age is is a factor. You wouldn't be signing many other players at that age. Um, and 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 really, for what they've been doing, they've been building this whole thing, building a squad, and they had Dan James in that side. And now, thankfully, he's free from his turmoil of the last two and a half years, which we're going to talk about in a sec. But, um, you know... The, it, it it has really 80% commercial gain to it. And you can tell that this is really a, a transfer that's been decided by bean counters more than for a, for a playing aspect. Because on paper, it don't make any sense in line with the other stuff that they've done. Um, and 
And that, I think, yes... Yeah, Solskjaer it, said not that long ago, didn't he? Was it when, yeah. when two years ago he said he wanted young English hungry players? Exactly, and now you've got um, a 36-year-old Portuguese. he's not young, he's not English. I don't know how hungry he is. <laughs> exactly. I mean. he yeah, but it, probably peckish in, in all itself. fairness to Solskjaer, yeah. in all fairness to Solskjaer, they have signed Jadon Sancho, who's 21. They've got Marcus Rashford, who's still only 23 and yet to come back. Yeah. They've got so many academy talents, which they always have done at Manchester United. So in terms of Solskjaer oh, yeah. kind of I'm not saying, that they, saying that, I think yeah. he's still got that really at the core of the club but it, it is it what it what it does is we've seen Dan, Dan James already out okay but you've got other players there like Martial and um, we mentioned there Cavani as well you know it's going to put a few noses out of joint this not just from uh, a team perspective of you know uh, picking your side on a, a Saturday or Sunday or, or whenever but there's going to be a lot of pressure for Solskjaer to to make sure he uses Ronaldo they need Ronaldo on the pitch if uh, if this commercial thing is going to be of, a, of any value, um, so that's going to put pressure on Solskjaer's, um team choices from above. That why aren't you using him and all that? And fans will expect Ronaldo to be playing more often than not, um, and, and and then it upsets sort of the the dynamic really of all the things that have been working on for the last couple of years. Yes, he's a brilliant footballer. We know how good Cristiano Ronaldo is. We know that he's. He's a quality footballer with a lot to offer. And yes, he's 36, but he can probably knock three or four years off that because he's so fit. Um, so, you know, he has... We, we only saw in the in the Euros that, you know, he's still a very good player. So the other thing with him, there are these off-pitch allegations, which I'm not going to go into any detail of, but that is still bubbling away. And it could well come and bite him on the backside um, and, you, you know, that could be a an unwelcome sideshow should that take a turn that that Manchester United weren't really banking on. Um, we've seen we've seen what happens to clubs um, when, when that kind of thing goes on. And, and you don't want that unwelcome press attention that becomes a big distraction there. And, and that, you know, it's it's a risk. I do wonder whether the media reaction would have been different had Cristiano Ronaldo gone to Manchester City instead of what's seen as a homecoming and a mm. return to his original home of Manchester United. I do wonder how it would have been reported had he gone to a different club of different status and of different sentimental value to him as a player. I think it's a really good point you raise, Ian, and it would be remiss of us to ignore that. In terms of what this move means for the Premier League, because it seems like we're discussing more what Ronaldo's arrival to England means rather than for Manchester United because there's been question marks over whether they're good enough for a title challenge this season. They certainly got the attacking quality and Ronaldo no doubt boosts that. But it feels more, Jim, that we're talking about what he offers to the Premier League as a brand and as a whole because you've now got probably the, the four or five best managers in Europe at least in the Premier League. And, you know, along with that, you've got some of the best players in the world, in the Premier League. Ronaldo, Lukaku, just two players that have arrived this summer to use uh, as examples. So what do you think the Premier League is looking like in terms of its attractiveness and where it sits in the gallery of the other European leagues? Because we often big up the Premier League and say it's the best. But now, I think if you look at it on face value with the players and managers that we do have in this country, that it's it's almost a, a given that the Premier League should be the best and the most competitive. It's always been there or thereabouts, hasn't it? And it has always attracted some of the best players. But this year, we have seen some of the best players in the world move all at the same time. And as you say, a lot of them have come to the Premier League. And I think partly it is due to the fact that the Premier League seems to have survived COVID 
a little bit better than some of its European counterparts. We're seeing teams in Italy struggle. We're seeing teams in France like Lille on the verge of disaster financially. We've seen Barcelona in real financial trouble. So suddenly Premier League's got a lot more clout and often it does come back to that. It's more to do with how much a football team can play rather than the attractiveness of what's on offer. But I think this Ronaldo story, I mean, we love a narrative don't we? As fans of football, we love a story and that's exactly what we're being offered. We're being offered a story. It's not just Ronaldo returning to the Premier League and Manchester United where he made his name, as I said before, but it's also kind of like you've got Messi moving at the same time. So it becomes a competition. It's Premier League versus Ligue 1. It's Manchester United versus PSG. It's Messi versus Ronaldo again. And it's finally an opportunity for one of them to prove that they are the GOAT. I mean, if if Ronaldo... (laughs) takes Manchester United to the Premier League, making that move at the age he is, rather than Messi going to PSG and taking them to the Champions League final. I mean, that, that, that's a really interesting bookend to their careers, isn't it? It's a really interesting end point. I think, for me, if Ronaldo can win the Premier League with Manchester United this season, I think that gives him the edge. As a massive Lionel Messi fan, I think that gives him the edge as the greatest of all time. Yeah, interesting. There'll be plenty of GOAT conversations, I'm sure, over the next 18 months to two years that Cristiano Ronaldo is contracted at Manchester United. But no doubt the biggest story of the transfer window has been the saga, I suppose you could call it, surrounding Cristiano Ronaldo. It was Harry Kane up until that point. Then all of a sudden, Ronaldo's name gets thrown out there and now he's back in the Premier League at Manchester United. One player who's no longer at Manchester United because he's completed a move away to Leeds United so he's gone across the Pennines for £25 million is Daniel James and as Jim rightly pointed out I think this might be a knock-on effect of the Ronaldo transfer who's got the better deal Ian is it your club Leeds United or is it Manchester United because £25 million seems like quite a lot but I suppose nowadays that is pretty much going rate for a half-decent Premier League player going from club to club especially a rival as well yeah, well, I mean, Manchester United are, are not really getting all of that money because I think some of it's due to add-ons. Um, and Swansea, actually, are possibly the winners out of this because they're getting £1.5 million, I believe, straight to their accounts today um, for, for, for doing nothing. So, you know, th- there, is, uh, there is that. Um, it offsets the Cristiano Ronaldo purchase I suppose doesn't it for, for Manchester United so for from that point of view they're uh, they're quits on that they've got to fork out for his wages but for Leeds United you know Leeds were going to buy um, Dan James for 15 million quid um, in total I think it was 8 million first and it was like a loan to buy sort of situation with with Swansea so it would have worked out at 15 million had they got promoted and um, Leeds didn't get promoted that year and Bielsa has since said that Dan James not being in the team was probably one of the main reasons that they didn't get promoted a couple of years ago. Um, now they're in the Premier League, um, 10 million quid more for a player who's a few years older, who has played over 50 times for Manchester United and has got experience of Champions League football and is now an international with uh, Wales. Um, you know, 10 million extra value for his time at Man United. It's actually not that bad. There was a bit of a bidding war, I think, going on with him. Probably Everton trying to hijack the deal. That's what they usually do. Um, <laughs> so that's another reason why the price is what it is. You know, it wasn't like uh, uh, the, the, things aren't necessarily uh, cost price, are they? When you've got various clubs bidding for him, um, Leeds were absolutely desperate to get this deal done this time. So money was no object within reason, I mm. think. 
Um, Bielsa and, must see you know, something Le- in, in James, like Absolutely. you said, in terms of him being the missing piece of the puzzle for those promotion attempts. He obviously yeah. really does value James and his input. Obviously, we know James is excellent in terms of his pace and how direct he can mm. be down the wings. But Bielsa obviously sees something in his game which would be the perfect fit for Leeds United. Hence, he's come back for the player a second time around. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 not let it go. I think over this last you know few years or so, two and a half years since that whole business where it all backfired. And have you seen the Amazon documentary about Leeds United where he sat there eating his Chinese? Um, Dan James has actually signed everything at his end and uh, just waiting for the confirmation from Swansea. And that confirmation never came through. They'd even done the photos, holding the shirt and all the rest of it. It was all done. Um, absolutely nailed on. And then Swansea just didn't answer the phone. He went back in the Swansea team. Um and then obviously the Manchester United situation. Manchester United were then well aware of this. And until that point, Dan James was very much under the radar. And uh, the, uh, I think Bielsa has vowed since then that he's not going to discuss anybody who he's got his eye on ever again because he's just realised now, you know, people are just hijacking the deals. So he feels like he's finally got his man, I think. And as you say, he, he must feel that there's some value there. Looking at the stats... Um, Dan James was the only other player along with Rafinha who were um, provided the most sprints, or I think it was, um, in the Premier League last year. So um, he sees him as a partner to that. And now, obviously, he's a winger. Rafinha is a winger. It's going to mean um, a difference to how Leeds are going to play. And I think what the question that it answers is that this is going to allow Rafinha to be more free and um, probably play as a number 10, which Leeds haven't had an out-and-out number 10. They've got... Um, uh, Rodrigo, who who is more of an out-and-out striker than he is a number 10, if you know what I mean. So Patrick Bamford has been leading the line and then Rodrigo's kind of not really at home anywhere, whereas Rafinha, he can do that job and now they've got Dan James to look after the wing and, um, you know, we've got, we've got all sorts of um, possibilities all of a sudden there. So he will get... Um, and he'll get... He'll get game time as well, which he'd been told at Man United. He played on Sunday, didn't he, against Wolves, played the first half. And I think apparently the the story goes in The Athletic that I read that um, Leeds were a bit stunned because they were like, "Mm, didn't think he'd be playing. Uh, And so the thought that if he'd been told that he's got more of a chance that the deal might be off. But then he was told on Monday, Dan James, that... Um, yeah, the Ronaldo thing's definitely happening and um, that's going to mean that you're going to be way down the pecking order. Um, and so, yeah, he uh, he said on Monday, let's do it. And um, and so it has been done finally this time. And Man United answered the phone. Uh, that's the main thing. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, in it's, ter- it's great. I mean, deal, yeah, people... Man United have made a little profit. Yeah, Man United have made a bit of profit. Leeds have finally got their man that they've been hell-bent on for so long. I mean, you know... Bielsa is notoriously specific with everything and and, and very diligent with everything. And the fact that he's not changed his mind over two and a half, three years with all the other players that they now know about, that Dan James is still the, the kingpin for him that he needs in that side. You know, it must be great for Dan James to walk into a club knowing that that manager that, that signed you um, has been desperate for you for and, and that you are you know the crown jewel it, it's it's great for him whereas he's gone from man united where 
can't you know necessarily be guaranteed anything. So it's 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 got to be great, and and he's got Yorkshire roots as well. His his family, are, uh, his family from Hull. Um, you know, don't hold that too much against him. It's, it's it's so he's you know he know he understands the club surely, and 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 the difference between Man United and Leeds United is that at Man United he's a very good player, and he's got some great experience, but. He's he's not going to be a Man United legend, really. Whilst a lot of Man United fans do really rate him and, and respect him, whereas at Leeds, over the next five years, you know he could be, you know he could be a proper legend, you know if it all goes all goes to plan. So you know the, the, that's that's where it's it's got and and yeah for Leeds, twenty five million, but to Bielsa is priceless. So um, yeah, you know. and and I agree, he's going to start more games at Ellen Road than he would do at Old Trafford, and by all accounts, from what I know. From what I've heard from people behind the scenes at Manchester United, he's a good character to have in the dressing room. Might not seem like it with the way he plays and how he is in interviews and on the pitch stuff, but actually behind the scenes, he's not a joker, but he likes a laugh and he's good for picking the spirits up and morale. So he's a good character to have. So Dan James has moved from Manchester United to Leeds United, 25 million. More done deals to talk about in the next part of Football Social Daily. Rafa Benitez has linked up with an old friend at Everton. And Chelsea have signed a midfield maestro. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the day after the night before. And no, we weren't on a staff night out last night. It was just transfer deadline day. And we're going to be talking Everton and Chelsea, starting with Goodison Park Outfit, who have signed Salomon Rondon on a free transfer from Dalian Yifang, who is uh, Rafa Benitez's former club in China. It's the third club that they've worked together at. Of course, you'll remember Rondon was a striker for Newcastle United when Benitez was there. And there were a few question marks over whether Mike Ashley would sign Rondon for Newcastle, fend off that interest from China. In the end, he ended up going to China and the fans were a bit miffed about it. Now he's followed Rafa to Goodison Park. Now, I think this is a a decent move, Jim, all round, really, because I think it provides good competition for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Moyes Keane has left the building. He's gone back to Juventus. That was a bit of a flop move, it has to be said. So it really leaves Dominic Calvert-Lewin as Everton's only striker. That was until Rondon came in. So, you know, it's all well and good to have someone of the quality of Calvert-Lewin, who is an England international, but he can't do it all himself. And if he gets injured, what do Everton have? So I think actually this probably works out quite well for everyone. I think that's it. You've summed it up quite nicely. It's one of those transfers that I don't feel like there's a huge amount to say about it because it is Moise Keane left. They needed to get a body in. I think Everton, and we've talked a lot previously about Everton's financial situation, where they're getting the money from, how they're spending as much as they have been spending. And this transfer window was maybe the equaliser for that a little bit because we know they've been desperate to get rid of Hamas Rodriguez because of his burden on the wage bill. They've got rid of uh, Moise Keane. It's a loan deal to Juventus, isn't it? A two-year loan deal, I think he's left on. So they needed some support for Calvert-Lewin up front. And Solomon Rondon is a player that Rafa Benitez trusts. He plays in a relatively similar style to Calvert-Lewin. He's good at holding up the ball. He can score a goal. You'd imagine he's going to chip in with five or six across the season. He's not going to pull any huge surprises. It's not going to be a 
transfer that the Everton fans are celebrating on the streets of Merseyside. But it's a solid choice. It's someone that Rafa Benitez knows. It's someone that fits Rafa Benitez's system. And he's proven that over the clubs he's been working with him at. It just kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's not hugely exciting. I guess the one question mark is how much does 18 months playing in China affect you when compared to the Premier League? But again, you'd imagine Rafa Benitez is one of those managers who is canny enough and does his due diligence enough to know that this is a player who still has the right level of fitness to be able to crack it in the Premier League. But as you you kind of summed it up, he provides competition to Calvert-Lewin. He's not going to displace him, but it gives him another option and a little bit of a safety net should Calvert-Lewin get injured. You've also got Richarlison, obviously, who has not left the club despite some rumours he can play in that centre-forward position if needed. Mm. I think he plays off the left, doesn't he, more often or prefers to, or at least he's more effective there. But like you say, yeah, Richarlison definitely is an option. He was another who was linked with PSG. It seems like every player in the transfer window has been linked with PSG at some point (laughs) during the window. All the strikers. (laughs) All the strikers are being linked there. Um, As you say, I think behind the scenes, the sounds coming out of Everton is that Raf has got them doing a lot of running in training. And I don't think that he would... Um, be inclined to throw Rondon in if he wasn't ready. I do think Rafa Benitez is quite thorough with how he does things and he's a man who knows how to get the job done, Rafa Benitez. This might not be a sparkling signing as you say, Jim, but certainly I think Rafa knows exactly what he's got in his mind and how he wants Everton to play. Do you think that that might be a bit of a hint in how Everton will play under Rafa at times? Because so far, so good for Everton under Rafa Benitez. I don't think they've lost a game yet. I think they've won two, drawn one, and they're through to the next round of the cup. So even though we were suggesting that if things go sour at Goodison Park, they're going to go downhill very quickly due to Rafa's Liverpool links, but it all seems to be going pretty smoothly at the moment. And I remember Marley saying, obviously Marley's a Newcastle fan who would have watched Rondon a lot, saying that Rondon's a bit of a battering ram and actually they can use him to be that physical presence and kind of bully defenders and be that focal point from set pieces if he needs to be. So even though it feels very much like Calvert-Lewin is the number one choice, it is good to have another option, as ugly as it may be. Yeah, I think it is good. I think maybe some um, Everton fans might be looking at it thinking it's it's not been the most inspiring transfer window in, in Everton's history. Um, we are seeing, and I think we said this would happen, <laughs> to be honest, um, a while back when when Rafa got the job that we'll probably start to see a few of Rafa's old favourites uh, rocking up at the club and um, here comes Rondon and um, <laughs> Andros Townsend's already in there. Um, so, you know, it, it does. It, it, Rafa does do that, doesn't he? But fair enough. And we said there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you know you've got um, some, some friends that, that can do the job then um, and they're available, then, then, then why not? Um, it is... We know what Rafa's teams can be like, especially um, in their first incarnation. I think you tend to find Rafa needs time to, to, to build things. And, and so does every manager. Very few managers walk in there and then, you know, you've got instant success unless you've got a team that's already assembled and uh, full, of, full of world beaters. And we've seen it takes time. And you've got to give managers that time. And, and we know what Rafa does. Rafa just shores things up. In the first instance, you know, don't concede too many goals. Don't get beat, basically. And then you can start to work on the flair and, and all the, the nice touches and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So we, we've seen how he works. He's, he's always puts out a solid outfit. Um, you know, I mean, flank, frankly, if he can if he can drag Newcastle into the, the top half of the table, then with Everton, it should be uh, easy street, shouldn't it? But yeah, I think we, we know how Everton will play because Rafa has his 
system and it and it works. Um, and yeah, we're seeing that that assemble. Um, I don't think they will be setting the world on fire, but I think you know they should be um, comfortable top half and there or thereabouts with a chance of maybe scraping into one of the European places. Even I, I think Everton will have a, a good season. It won't be inspiring, and they probably won't be first on match of the day every week. But um, they, they'll get the job done, and um, at the end of the season, um, that's what counts when you look at the the league table. Yeah, I think they've got to go and win a Carabao Cup or something like that. I think it'd yeah, be good great cup for Everton. Yeah. yeah, it'd be great yeah. for Everton and their fans after sort of a fallow spell of twenty six years without a trophy. But also, it'd be amazing for Benitez in terms of kind of winning the fans back over. Um, I'm sure most of them are on the side now after the start that they've made. But certainly, well, hang it, on, it, let's let's remember who they've played in that start though. They played Brighton, they played Leeds. That's where they got their draw, and mm-hmm. they play Southampton. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like they. I don't think he's done the job of winning over fans yet, because he's not really played any opposition you wouldn't expect Everton to necessarily beat. Yeah, I mean, I, think, but you, I mean, but you could say that at any team. The first three games of the season, you know, Manchester City beat Arsenal five 0 but Arsenal were poor. They beat Norwich, yeah. who had just come up, and then they lost to Tottenham, who everyone was saying, oh, they're not that good, and they didn't have Harry Kane, Tottenham. So it's like, actually, yeah. it's so early in the season, it is hard to tell really what what is going to happen and you can't read too much into results so early can you really no completely but I just think it's a bit early to say he's won them over I mean he should win them over because he's a great choice for Everton manager and he will bring success and it's just a matter of what success looks like to the fan base but given what Everton have done previously as you say a Carabao Cup or something like that should be deemed success but um, I think it's just too early to make that call at the moment given where we are at this stage in the season yeah, it's a fair comment. It's a fair comment, but certainly uh, linking up with an old friend in Solomon Rondon back with Rafa Benitez at Everton. That was a free transfer uh, yesterday on deadline day. And this is a loan transfer we're going to talk about now, but it's a player who's been on several people's lips in terms of a move to the Premier League. That is the Atletico Madrid midfielder, Saul Niguez, who has been loaned to Chelsea for the season. Another big name arrival, Jim, for the Blues. In terms of their title ambitions, it's a big arrival. To go along with Lukaku, who many people are saying tips the scales in Chelsea's favour in terms of a title tilt. But the depth that they've got now, they've got Jorginho, who some people are tipping for a Ballon d'Or nomination. He's won the Euros, he's won the Champions League. And Golo Conte, we know how good he is. Um, Kovacic in the middle of the parks won four Champions Leagues with Real Madrid. And now they've got Saul Nuguez, who's a player who many top clubs wanted this summer. So that's a another coup for the Blues, to say the least. They've got a really good chance of winning on several fronts this season, haven't they? Because they have got strength enough to certainly contend for the Premier League and now they're adding depth to fight in those European competitions as well. And I think the players you mentioned there, uh, Kovacic and Jorginho and Kante, that, that's exactly the type of player they bought here. And it's someone to compete with those three in that central defensive midfield spot and I guess it it shows us how Thomas Tuchel is going to play next season he is going to play three at the back he is going to play wing backs he's going to play two holding midfielders and then he's got the wealth of attacking talent that they have in those front three options going forward so we know how Chelsea are going to set up there's not going to be any surprises there but I think it's a really canny signing for Chelsea he didn't have the best season last season at um, Atletico under Simeone but I think he was kind of he was on the. They did fr- win the league, to be fair, though. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but he he, did, he didn't play a huge amount, did he? And he was often stuck out at left back as well, which I don't think's his or left wing mm. back, which isn't his kind of ideal 
positions so he's no, going to want not. but again I, I suppose that shows the the flexibility he has and it adds more depth to Chelsea's team the fact he has got that flexibility and he ha- can play in that left wing back role if needed but yeah I mean he he's tenacious he's tactically and positionally incredibly aware he's a good ball winner I think he it, it's just a great acquisition for Chelsea you might not start every week because they've got Kante and Jorginho in there who you'd probably say were the first two choices but depth is the way you described it and depth is exactly what he brings yeah, I mean, actually, there's been some interesting commentary surrounding this move, Ian, because, I mean, this is a player who's played 340 games for Atletico Madrid in nearly 10 years. He's a Spain international. As Jim says, he's got so many qualities in the middle of the park and comes from a, an Atletico team who have just won the league tactically sound and Thomas Tuchel is a tactically sound manager. But with the quality that Chelsea have got and those players that we listed, Kovacic, Golo Conte, Jorginho, I mean, he's on loan from Atletico Madrid. So that would lend you to believe that he'll be starting a few games as per the terms of the deal. But, you know, in terms of that quality in midfield, that is going to be a real battle to get your name on the starting eleven, get your name on the team sheet, because... You know, you've got some of the best midfield players in Europe in Chelsea's ranks. And, yeah. you know, it is Saul going to be able to force himself into that starting eleven beyond the likes of Conte and Jorginho? I suppose from um, Chelsea's point of view as well, they, they, they have got quite a few opportunities there in, in terms of they're going to be um, obviously in the Champions League. Um, there's the uh, Premier League, but then other cup competitions to, to get through as well so there will be a bit of rotation going around he does seem to be a very um, reliable player to have in your ranks very versatile as well as Jim mentioned you can play on the left wing um, he's even played left back uh, predominantly though he's, um, he's you know he's, he's a defensive well he's a he's a defensive mid midfielder who likes to attack um, it seems, and supports the attack. So like a box-to-box. I suppose it depends on the type of game and who you're playing against, doesn't it? And you need these various different options. He is also, I was reading, uh, very good at um, set-play headers. So could be a uh, a little um, surprise there if you've... If, I suppose you're playing against a team that's um, fairly short and, uh, you know, when it comes to corners and stuff like that. Could be handy because, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, do, get, uh, you do get short teams and um, he's a bit of a tall guy and uh, can smack those headers in the net, something he's known for. So, you know, it's, a, it's a, one of those little trump cards perhaps to have up um, Chelsea's sleeve. Will he be a regular? I don't know, but I think we'll certainly see, um, see how he gets on. He'll, he'll get his opportunities. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he gets on in the Premier League. He's got a lot of experience. I think he might be more of a... A Champions League kind of guy, if you know mm. what I mean. He's got that experience as well, hasn't he? He's played Champions League, he's won Europa, yeah. he's won La Liga, he's won Copa del Rey, so he's got big game experience. I, I can't help thinking he's the yeah. player that Manchester United have missed out on here, because surely... Well, he was linked to United, wasn't he, Jim? Yeah. Many times through the window, and it's Chelsea have picked him up. So, you know, United are looking for a midfielder, or at least it looks like the hole in United squad is for a midfielder. So, you know, it could be a case of Chelsea's gain is Manchester United's loss, in, in a way. I think it feels like that. I mean, we've seen Fred as very much the weak point of that Manchester United team over the start of this season. And here you've got a player, and they've been linked with many defensive midfielders, but he has all the qualities that Solskjaer should have been looking for in terms of that central point of their midfield that would have allowed Pogba to get forward and it kind of baffles me a little bit why they haven't gone in harder 
to get him and surely they could offer him first team football which maybe Chelsea can't do so I wonder what it's come down to I wonder whether it's come down to the the gravitas of the manager whether it's come down to the paycheck whether it's come down to Champions League football potentially but obviously uh, Atletico and San Nuez has made their choices and it's Chelsea and that is going to be to Manchester United's detriment I think I think this could be the first example of of, of Man United being distracted because of Ronaldo as well you know they've been working on that and and you know this this is the thing he's going to distract people is Ronaldo off off on, on and off the pitch and uh, you know they've they've now got this whole being in Ronaldo that they're going to have to manage it's it's, it's going to be a full-time job and you know maybe maybe because of that they've been fixated on getting that deal through and and forgotten about everything else could be I don't know but I think that's going to be the the big issue with Ronaldo yeah perhaps could be a, a reason as for Manchester United missing out on Sal we don't know if they were ever in for him officially but certainly he's been linked in the newspapers many times with a move to Old Trafford uh, Chelsea didn't manage to land Jules Koundé who was the centre half they were looking for um, from Sevilla apparently they lodged an unsatisfactory offer for the French defender and and also that would have been a direct replacement for Kurt Zuma, who has gone to West Ham. And it's West Ham United we'll be talking about next on Football Social Daily. A couple of new faces through the door at the London Stadium we'll discuss after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm now. I've got Jim and Ian alongside me and we're in the final part of the day after the transfer deadline day was yesterday. And so we're going to talk about some of the moves that took place that we haven't already discussed, starting with Celtic, Odson Edouard, the French forward for £14 million. He's been at Celtic for a number of years now and he's kind of been their talisman in terms of leading the line for them and scoring the goals that they need. Talking of scoring goals and needing to score goals, Jim, Crystal Palace certainly do need that, or at least that was what the evidence was suggesting from the opening games of the season. They didn't score a goal in their first three games in League and Cup of the campaign. They did manage to bag a couple at the weekend, but really it does feel like they needed a striker and they've picked one up. Someone who's proven in Scotland for a big club like Celtic, has won trophies, has a good goal record, has age on his side and for a decent price in 14 million as well. Do you think that is the firepower that Crystal Palace needed? Certainly been a concern they haven't been scoring goals so far this season because that's what the new manager was supposed to come in and solve. Patrick Vieira was supposed to have him playing this more attacking, free-flowing football. And yeah, they got two against my lot at the weekend but they were really really poor don't think they created a single chance in the first half and certainly scoring goals has been an issue will bringing in Edouard solve that I mean the question is why they've lacked scoring goals and I think the main problem for Crystal Palace and this has been the problem for years now at Palace is it's not so much the man up top it's the service that they get to the man up top and you can have the best striker leading your attack But if you don't get the ball to him, if he doesn't see the football, he's not going to get you any goals. And so, yeah, bringing in a striker who is a proven goal scorer, and he is a proven goal scorer in the SPL, I think he's got pretty much one in two for Celtic. It's got got to be a good transfer. It's got to be a good move. But he's been doing that for the best team in a weak league. Sorry, JP. Sorry, Callum, but the (laughs) SPL is a weak league. He's now doing it for the worst team or one of the worst teams in a strong league so it's been flipped on its head uh, and he 
He might score goals, yeah, but he's not going to score goals unless he gets the service, which I think is a big question for Crystal Palace. They need to work mm. on their approach play and their attacking play in order to give him what he needs to fully perform. I think my one concern about this transfer is when has the flip from SPL to EPL worked for an attacking player, for a striker? When was the last time... We, I don't know the answer to this, by the way. I probably should have looked into it. But when was the last time we saw a high-profile striker move from Scotland to England and do well? And we've seen it for defenders like Robertson, Tierney, Van Dijk, if you go back a bit, I suppose. They've adapted <laughs> from Scottish football to English football quite well. But I can't remember the last attacking foot player who packed his bags in Scotland, came south of the wall and really fired. <sighs> Mel Gibson. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I don't know. Um, I really don't know. It's a great question. I'm sure um, that is our ignorance shining through from here uh, in the promised land of the Premier League. So if you are a Scottish football fan and you're listening in and you can answer that question for us, why not let us know on our social media page at the Sports Social on Twitter, at Sports Social Official on Instagram. And if you just search in the search bar on Facebook for Sports Social, you can find our page there and just send us a message if you have the definitive answer to that question that is where we need Stefan Armstrong on the podcast who of course is a, of course is a heart of Midlothian fan he would have been able to answer that question in far more detail than we could but certainly his arrival from Crystal Palace feels like slightly more exciting than some of the other moves we've seen from the SPFL in recent seasons what about you Ian are you of the thinking that he can fire quickly because he's got got a good pedigrees of good stock let's just say he used to play for PSG before he signed for Celtic and he didn't have any issues with hitting the ground running in front of 60,000 people at Parkhead when he first arrived in Glasgow. So do you think that he'll be able to do something similar for Crystal Palace or is it, as Jim says, a bit of a different kettle of fish? I think as long as he's used to the... I mean, it doesn't get any more uh, tasty an atmosphere than than being a, a Celtic player. So he's used to playing in front of big crowds. Um, why not? You know, it's football at the end of the day. It's not like it's a different... Just because it's the Premier League, it doesn't mean that it's like some sort of different game. Uh, the players that you're playing against, the defenders, are probably going to be a bit better. So he might find his, his space a little bit limited. But that's what um, Patrick Vieira has brought him in to do, is to, is to exploit those gaps. And, and um, apparently against West Ham, he was saying that they weren't, they weren't getting in the, in the gaps enough. They weren't running at the defence enough. So um, he thinks that, um, that uh, Edouard can, uh, can, can do this. Um, and, and, and get into those spaces, number one. But also it provides some proper, meaningful competition for Benteke as well at Crystal Palace, which has, has been fairly lacking, actually. So maybe it might give him a bit of a rocket too. So what, what time will tell. There's no reason why he can't. As I say, it's football. He's used to playing. I think some players that come from smaller clubs and then they're a bit maybe overawed by playing in front of big crowds, uh, shouting, and especially as they are now. Um, whereas, you know, he's experienced that at Celtic. Uh, he's experienced that at PSG. Um, so why would, um, you know, playing against um, Burnley uh, be any different? Um, so, uh, you know, as, as you say, as Jim mentioned, you know, that, that getting him the service from the rest of the, the Crystal Palace team might be the issue. Um, but um, we'll see. Uh, and let's uh, let's see what happens. Um, I think if you're coming from he's a Scottish young, team... He's like, young, he's talented. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and Celtic are a pretty decent side. Yeah, there was a time, I mean, it was a couple of years ago, I think he was being touted as a potential replacement for Aguero at City by some people. And he's certainly not mm. hit that high. He's not quite got to where he was expected to. But he is a, he is a good player. And he probably does improve on what, Crystal Palace have currently but that is Christian Benteke 
Yeah, I think he'll be absolutely fine, actually. I'm quite excited to see how he does. Olson Edouard has moved from Celtic to Crystal Palace for £14 million. And we're going to talk now about West Ham. Completed a couple of deals Ooh. on deadline day. Before we do, Jim, I just wanted to know, are you any good at European languages? <laughs> no, not at all. I can order okay. a beer in several say, languages and that's about it. Uh, okay, I was going to get you to translate this for me. Navjdi uh, Fukan Bublini. Do you know what that means? It uh, probably means, I mean, if that's something that the, um, I'm, I'm guessing that's Russian. And I'm guessing it's come from the mouth of uh, Vlasic. So I'm guessing it means come on your irons. <laughs> no, it's not quite. It's Czech for I'm forever blowing bubbles, but pretty good. Oh. <laughs> uh, you almost got it. You almost got it. Because, of course, uh, there's another arrival from the Czech Republic to join Vladimir Sufal and Thomas Socek. We'll come on to Vlasic in a bit, who is an arrival from Moscow, as you say, Jim. But we'll talk about Kral first. Uh, another Czech signing. I mean, if they're as, if he's half as good as the other two that you've made, then West Ham should be in for a decent player, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's pretty impressive that uh, Suchek has got a more successful transfer record bringing players into the club than David Sullivan has had during his decade in charge. So fair play to him for bringing in another Czech player. I was quite excited about Kral when we were first linked with him, probably... It's probably going back 18 months when there were first rumours about us potentially signing this player. And I, since then, his star has kind of fallen a little bit. He didn't have a brilliant Euros, but I don't think many players did have absolutely brilliant Euros. But what I think he does bring to the team is, again, as we talked about before, competition in the centre of the park. And we've got loads of players that can now play in that kind of holding midfield position. And just like... Thomas Tuchel, David Moyes likes to play those two holding midfield. That's the only time David Moyes will ever get compared to Thomas Tuchel, by the way. But (laughs) he likes to play those kind of two holding midfielders. So you've got Rice and Suchek in there. They will be first choice, but then there is now competition behind them as well that doesn't rely on Mark Noble being that third option. Because with the best win in the world, Mark Noble is now a sea games out style player, maybe playing in the Caribou Cup rather than starting those 90 minutes so Kroll provides brilliant competition for that he's on a loan so he's got a season to prove himself there is an option to buy so West Ham have learnt from their Lingard scenario where he had a brilliant season but there was no option to buy at the end of it so they've kind of locked that in and there's 12 months for him to prove his worth for me the most promising part of this whole transfer deal bringing Kroll in is not only is he a young player who can play in that holding role so if Declan Rice does go on his way in a season or two seasons he feels like the natural replacement there but it also allows Connor Coventry who is also a holding midfielder really talented young player at West Ham who had a brilliant pre-season it's allowed him to go on loan to Peterborough so he's gone off there he'll get a full season of football which he desperately mm. needs and he can in come the championship back. as well good test yeah yeah I think I think it's 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 the perfect move for him because if we hadn't bought in that player he would have been forced to stay at West Ham he would have been a bit part player he would have played in the Europa League 10 minutes here and there so he needs full games of professional men's football and he's going to get that which is a real key part of this particular move I think yeah, absolutely. Well, he's on a season-long loan. Uh, Alex Kral, the Czech Republic international, who has arrived from Spartak Moscow. And Vlasic as well, another player, Jim. Uh, what, what do you make of his arrival? Because there seems to be a little bit more excitement about his arrival than of Alex Kral. I think in terms of what the team needs, he's probably a more important player. I think Alex Kral is for me the more promising individual. I mean, we've seen Vlasic before. We saw him playing for Everton. Uh, 
two, a few years ago now, maybe three years ago now. And he didn't do a great deal in the Premier League, but he's got a lot more football under his belt since then. And he's a little bit older. He's, he's only the, 23 as yeah, well. So he, yeah, so he's, he's, he's hardly an old head, is he? Um, but I mean, he, in terms of, we, we, haven't got, we haven't got a striker at West Ham other than Mikel Antonio. He is the only senior striker at the football club. And there seems to be a reluctance from David Moyes to bring in another striker. Uh, apparently because there wasn't anyone available that he felt would improve the team. And I like David Moyes' approach to transfers. He doesn't just buy someone because he needs a body. He buys someone if he thinks they're going to offer something. So I think Vlasic has been bought in with that in mind. Couldn't get Lingard over the line, so Vlasic's come in. He could play that attacking midfield role, but he can also provide backup for Antonio when he inevitably gets his three-month hamstring injury that he has on an annual basis. (laughs) And he will drop into that role. He can hold the ball up like Antonio can. He's quick like Antonio can. He hasn't got quite the same eye for goal, but that said, two years ago, Antonio didn't have that same eye for goal. So I think that's the kind of role he's going to play because we've got plenty of attacking midfielders in that West Ham team. Um, And I think he's very much seen as a potential striker. Just finally on West Ham, Ian, and their recruitment policy, people can laugh at them and you know jibe at them because they keep picking up players from the Czech Republic and now they've had two players arrive from... Moscow and their varying clubs but in a transfer, <laughs> in a, yeah well that's what I was going to say Jim in a transfer window where we've seen 97 and a half million pounds spent on Lukaku by Chelsea 100 million pounds spent on Jack Grealish by Manchester City 150 million pound alone spent yesterday by clubs on deadline day 1.1 billion across the course of the window from Premier League clubs I think West Ham in terms of the recruitment over the years that's been a weak spot and I think Jim would agree that certainly has been criticism at West Ham for how they sign players but the method that they seem to have stumbled across if that is a a fair description is working for them Ian and people can laugh at them but they've shown their that it's worked because as Jim says they finished just outside the Champions League last season they've made a great start to the campaign this time around it all seems to be going well over there at the London Stadium it's like you know the film Moneyball It's, it's like the Eastern European version of that uh, which, you know, hey, it works. It works, you know, if you've got your stats and all that and, and you, you've got these players that can do the role for you. And invariably, because of how things are, then you are going to probably get a few more bargains um, from, from that direction. It's always been the case, I think, certainly for the last, what, 15, 20 years um, in the Premier League, that if you're signing a, an English player, for example, then the, the cost is just higher. It, it's been that way forever um it's just that the the prices now are ridiculous you know uh, uh, not long ago, not long ago a record fee was you know 25 30 million quid and we were thinking that was ridiculous and now we're quite we're quite happy with seeing 80 90 or even 100 million now um and 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 that sort of being well you know it's a lot but it's worth it um it's just always been the case for those kind of players european players in particular so if you can find a good player from uh, Russia or the Ukraine or the Czech Republic or wherever, then yeah, why not do it? They probably do get overlooked because it's an effort to go there to do the scouting and and all that kind of stuff. So if you've got scouts and you've got a good scouting network in those regions of of the world, then um, you know why not? Um, it's all about whether the player can do the job or, or or not really. And I think it's easier for many clubs to 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 have scouts going around you know Europe going to Barcelona matches or going to La Liga matches or uh, Serie A matches and, and looking at players there but to to uh, to go to go to somewhere like Minsk 
or uh, Vladi Vlostok on a on a cloudy, <laughs> uh, foggy Tuesday night uh, is, is a bit more of an effort, of course. So, um, yeah, it, it, obviously they've 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 invested well in their scouting network in in that part of the world. Um, seems to be working. Um, they haven't. <laughs> All right. Maybe they've invested. So <laughs> they there isn't. The maybe they invested in some some other kind of network in Eastern Europe. Who knows? But uh... I think they do. I think they do a lot of. I think David Moyes takes a really hands-on approach from transfers, right. and these transfers have come about via previous connections and a lot of video analysis. Ah, you see. So well, I mean, I've been hugely <laughs> video analysis is 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 uh, the potential uh, red herring here. Then uh, let's uh, see how that plays yeah, out. Get on YouTube. Yeah, I'll tell you the story. But to round off, story at Sunderland signed this player called uh, Milton Nunes and uh, he he came from uh, Ecuador or somewhere like that so this player arrives right and he was he was he was tiny he was a striker and um, Peter Reed had signed him I think based on uh, you know this the, the videos and, and all this and uh, came in exciting talent from South America this guy and I, he barely played any matches in the end. He was playing in the reserves more often than not. And uh, let's just say that the video footage necessarily didn't live up to the to the uh, what you got in real life. <laughs> because I think the video footage he was playing against uh, school kids or something like that, and he looked amazing. And he got uh, he got into the Premier League, and he was like, "This is the same guy." <laughs> so that's uh, that's one of the hazards of video uh, video scouting. Yeah, definitely. Well, there will be no video scouting, at least in terms of uh, trying to make deals for the next four or five months, because we are done now in terms of the transfer chat and done deals for, well, until January, really. So until then, uh, look forward to the gossip, but nothing concrete. Of course, players can still sign free agents and stuff like that, but deadline day has closed. And the Premier League's 20 clubs have had their squads shaped up now for the campaign ahead. It is the international break, so we won't see any of those players in action for at least a fortnight yet. But it is exciting times ahead, especially um, forget Ronaldo. I just want to see how Alex Crowell does, uh, you know, the East End David Luiz with that curly mop, Jim. I don't, I don't <laughs> know how he'll get on, but I'm looking forward to it. The, the East End market, the East End market stalls on the way into the London Stadium now are just going to be full of those great big wigs, wigs. aren't they? Those great big curly wigs. <laughs> That's one good thing. We talk about marketing earlier on in the show. Sign a player with curly hair or an afro and you make your money back pretty quickly. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much, Jim. Jim, thank you, Ian, as ever, for your company here on the show. Deadline day is done, but we're not here on Football Social Daily. As I say, hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode again. But that's it for now. And we'll catch you again next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.